This morning we uh, continue in our series, Monsters in Church, Dysfunctional Disciples of Jesus. Last week we talked in, in Revelation 3 about zombie Christians, about those who have the name of being alive but are essentially dead. And this week we, we start this second week talking about probably with the, the most well-known movie monster of all time. Vampires. Kid, you looked at my notes, but anyway. Um, vampires. You know, those another form of undead people, right? But um, and you know, as, as you pray over this stuff, you could go a lot of ways in, in the Bible with, with vampires, um, you know, antichrist and, and giving life and taking life and all of those things. But this morning we're talking about those vampires that exist in church. And I want to make a distinction. This morning I'm talking about spiritual vampires rather than vampire Christians. Simply because uh, there are some of these descriptions that, that we're going to talk about this morning in Scripture that show that some of these people aren't believers, but they're still in the church. Um, and the first one of those is there in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, where Jesus is telling his parables. And he tells this parable of the wheat and the weeds. And it says there, he presented another parable, and the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up, the slaves asked? He said, no. When you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them. Let's store the wheat in my barn. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words. Now speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us this morning. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in Matthew 13 this morning. We looked at that because there is a group in this spiritual vampire place that's basically we know the spiritual vampires walk among us undetected. Right? We watch, you watch any vampire show, whether it's Dracula or anything else, they are always in public. They, they go out and do the things and they walk among us undetected. What we find here in Matthew 13 is that churches are full of people who both know Jesus and don't know Jesus. There are people of, of God and people of the devil within churches. And what we find is, it is very e it's not very easy to tell them apart sometimes. Right? Because we have these boxes, and we've done a good job of training people how to do church. But sometimes we don't train them how to have a relationship with Jesus. And so, Spiritual vampires walk among us undetected, but spiritual vampires also are more concerned about their ideas and what the kingdom should be rather than what God has called them to be. Vampires are selfish beings, right? Vampires want what they want. They do what they want to do, and they don't care how they get there. They don't care what they leave in their wake, everything that happens. When we find that, Jesus is telling the disciples what's going to happen, right? He's going to die, and he's going to come back to life. And Peter says, what? Never, Lord! I'm never going to deny you. I will be there. I'm going to fight to the end. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
For you are worried about the things of men, not the things of God. So it's so often we find spiritual vampires who do that. But this morning I really want to focus on the true nature of a, of a spiritual vampire. And it's found over in Numbers chapter 13. Now I know we were in Numbers here the other day. <laughs> Again. But there in Numbers 13, we see something starting in verse 41. Or 31. Uh, that will tell us a little something about us, vampire, spiritual vampire. The men have just been sent in by Moses to scout the people, right? They've just been sent in to, to go and look at the land. God has brought them out of Egypt. Sent the plagues, did all the things that he did. They've seen all these miracles. They've been guided by God by cloud in the day and fire at night. He has taken care of them. And he brings them to the river. He brings them to the place that they need to be. And then he says, okay, let's, let's chart out the land. Let's see what we're looking at. And he sends the spies in. The spies all go out. Man, and they come back and they're carrying, when you see the pictures the people draw, they're carrying these great big old things of grapes. Grapes as big as my head. And those are the pictures people draw of this. They come back with this stuff that is just unbelievable. And you know, Joshua and Caleb, they're like, man, we can do this. Woo! God is going to bless us. Let's go. And there in verse 31, we pick up where the vampires come in. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't go up against the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak who come from the Nephilim. To ourselves we seem like grasshoppers. And we must have seen the same to them. Then the whole community broke into loud cries. And the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. And the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt! Or if only we had died in this wilderness! Why is this Lord? Is the Lord bringing us into this land to die with the sword? Our wives and little children will become plundered. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Spiritual vampires suck the life out of those around them. That's what a vampire does, right? They suck the life force out of anybody. That's what they do. Spiritual vampires are the same. But what we're talking about here is a spirit of negativity. They're what I call water bucket carriers. You know what a water bucket carrier is? It's those people who walk around with the water bucket all the time. And when the spark starts to come up, if God starts to go, they, they douse that water on that fire. Because we can't let it get too big. This spirit of, of negativity. This idea that we can't do anything. We, we don't have the ability to do this. We don't have the ability to, to, to do anything. The, the biggest frustration to anyone in church leadership, whether they're just leading the ministry or, or they're a deacon or a youth minister or a pastor or anybody who's in leadership at all, the biggest frustration is when you come in with these ideas that you've prayed over and somebody says, oh, we tried that 20 years ago and it didn't work. That was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I could turn 
on and I had three channels and I could put my kids in front of it and it was safe to watch. 20 years ago, things were different. But my biggest frustration, I was in a church and that's what happened. We had a great idea that somebody brought. A chili cook-off. And man, people were excited. But then you had this group. Do you remember when they used to have the chili cook-off at blank? And they started naming off all the negative things about it. Well, it became this. And people started doing this. And it became that. And slowly but surely, people started going, oh, yeah, I remember. That, that probably won't work. It probably, we probably don't need to do that. Negative people spread negativity. It is, it is easier to become negative being around somebody negative than it is to become positive being around somebody positive. It's easier to look at the bad stuff. It's easier to say, look how horrible this is. And completely miss the blessings that God has given us. It's easy. We've all known those people, right? Those people that the phone rings and you're thankful for Colorado. <laughs> 30 years ago, you didn't have Colorado. So the phone rang and you said hello and you talked to whoever it is. But now the phone rings and you go, oh, I don't have the energy right now. Ignore it. The people who you're always like, oh, you never ask, how are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's just, there's this laundry list of things that, that's going wrong, and nothing's ever going wrong. They suck the life out of me. They suck the life out of organizations. It only takes one negative person to bring something down. Did you know that boats that have holes in them don't sink because of the water outside? They sink because of the water inside. If enough of you believe you can bail the water out, maybe you'll be fine to get to shore, but if you all go listen to that one person who says, we're doomed, you're doomed. I'm just, you know, we become self-fulfilling prophecies sometimes, right? I can't do that. Well, then you can't. I always have a huge frustration when it comes to, to sporting events sometimes because I watch especially especially in six-man football. If you've ever watched six-man football, they have the mercy rule. And most of the time, the mercy rule happens. The mercy rule is, at halftime, if either team is ahead by 45 points, you go home. That's the mercy. Because in six man, you're either really good or you're not. <laughs> That's just it. It's just it. And I would watch often as it would begin at the top level with coaches and administrators and teachers. And the team would be coming up on a very tough competitor. And it would start somewhere on Monday. Well, it's going to be really tough this week. 
by Wednesday, it's, you know, I don't know if we can do this or not. And by Friday, it's, we're going to lose tonight. And every time, they're going to lose that night. Not because the team was any better, but because they walked into that game knowing that they couldn't do it and the negativity had pulled them down. Negativity sucks the life out of everybody around you. Now, there's some truths about negativity we have to remember. The first one is that negativity reflects what's going on inside of a person. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 12, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If someone's negative, there's something going on inside them that's negative. It's amazing how you can tell that someone is having a rough time if you listen to what's coming out of the mouth. Because if it's negative stuff, there's something going on in here that's negative. There's something that's happening. Because Jesus says those things come from the inside. It's, it's from the abundance of the heart. I don't want an abundance of negativity in my heart. If you're spewing negative things, that means the abundance is there. An abundance. When we have an overall positive outlook and add a little negativity, the negativity can be absorbed. But if you don't work on that negativity, if you don't work to alleviate the negativity, it begins to work. Negativity is like a cancer. And once you let it take root and it begins to work and it begins to grow and it begins to eat at you, at some point it's going to come out. At some point you're going to say something. At some point you're going to blow up. When I find myself in a position, I know when I have gotten into a negative attitude because my first reaction is to bark at people. Not literally bark. <laughs> I bark. And I find myself doing it. It's only when there's negative things going on. When I've allowed negativity to take root. Negativity reflects what's going on inside a person. But negativity will always justify itself. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. Negativity justifies itself. Well, I know that we can't do that because we tried before. Times that they try to do a heart transplant before it worked. How many times did you try driving a car before you were allowed to get your license? How many times do you practice writing your letters before you know what, what you're doing? Just because it happened one way once doesn't mean it's going to happen that way again. But negativity will always justify itself. I can be this way because. I can be this way because, but it doesn't matter. My, my worst thing, and this is where I, I'll be very real this morning. I say, I never answer the question, how are you, properly. What do I say, Ellen? I'm tired. I'm tired. See? It may be true, but I have a friend, at least 
least one. Frank. He, uh, and I haven't seen him in years, but when you see him and you ask him the question, how are you? His reply is always better than I deserve. Every time. It doesn't matter if his life is going great or if his life is going horribly. He is doing better than he deserves. And that's the attitude that he has. He doesn't justify why he's being bad. Because what happens every time I say that I'm tired, I don't know why I say it. I can have the most energy in the world that I'm going to say I'm tired because I've trained myself to say it. Then I have to justify why I said I'm tired. This morning, pick on Ellen again. Ella asked me how it was because I was tired. She said, why? Because I started saying, well, it's been a long weekend. Has it been a long weekend? I sat at the house yesterday. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Maybe that's why I was talking. See, I'm justifying myself again. Negativity justifies itself. A man's ways always seem right to him. I can make any negative thing that I have going on, and I'll tell you why it's the right thing to do. Why I'm right and why you're wrong and why the world just doesn't understand. Negativity justifies itself. The negative will always have reasons to be negative. But you know, negativity will choose your friends for you. Oh. Proverbs 1, the father is telling his son to stay away from a certain group of people. He says, don't travel that road with them. It leads to ruin. And then in Proverbs 22, he says again, don't make friends with an angry man and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered man. You'll learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Of course, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Negativity will choose your friends for you. How many of us, by a show of hands, have is one of the things we want in our friends is that they are negative all the time. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be around negative people. Nobody wants to hear about it all the bad all the time and none of the good. I back when pastoral visits were a normal thing. Five months ago, I guess. Um, this is a long time ago, though. There, there, were, there were two people, two different people in the town that I was in. And one demanded a visit. They had to have a visit. And if you weren't there, you were the most horrible person, much less pastor, they'd ever met. Because you did not take care of that person's needs. But when you went to their house, you walked out feeling like you'd been kicked several times. <laughs> raped over the coals. And you walked out going, okay, I'm going home and going to bed. Because I can't do anything else today. And this was one of the healthiest people I'd ever known. I mean, they had everything they could ever want and they were just negative. And then you had the other person. Her name was Miss Eufaula Horn. I'll tell her thing. She was one of the greatest saints I ever met in my life. 
She's gone on to be with Jesus now. She had lost, she'd been a widow for 30 years. She was bad diabetic, confined to a wheelchair, and she never went anywhere. She was stuck in her house. She rode her wheelchair from her chair in the front room to her bedroom to the bathroom, and that was the only place that she ever went. She used to be an EMT. She used to do all sorts of things. And by the time I got to know her, she was confined to her house. She never once called and said, I need a visit. But I visited her all the time. Because when you walked into Eufaula's house, when you walked out, you had been blessed. She was the most joyful, uplifting, wonderful person you could ever know. Everybody always said, don't get on her bad side. I don't know if she had a bad side. Because all she ever showed was good. You could walk by her house in the morning and she would just be on her front porch in her chair and she would just wave and say, come on up here and visit for a while. You sit there and visit forever. And you walked away knowing <coughs> that you had been in the presence of Jesus. Happy Timothy, you'll choose your friends for I would much rather be at Mission Falls' house than the other person's house. Because like draws like. The writer of Hebrews warns us to watch out for this. He says, see that no bitter root grows up in you. There was a Methodist man. Yeah, I know, we're Baptists, but still. His name was Sam Peters. And he listed four types of negative ninnies to watch out for in the church. The first was the alarmist. Those who are motivated by fear and exaggerate the risks. Now, if we do that, everything's going to change. Now, 20, 30 years ago, some churches it still is, but 20, 30 years ago, there were the worship wars, right? Now, you know, if you let that kind of music in, it's going to change everything. Yeah? It might. And people will leave. They might. But we exaggerate those risks. The alarmist is always scared of what's going to happen next, right? That's the first negative. <laughs> Second one is the traditionalist. You may care, guess what that one does? They don't like change. We've always done it this way. We're always going to do it this way. And if we do it any other way, something's wrong because it can't be Jesus. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Okay. You realize half the things we do in Baptist churches Jesus didn't do? Things this way. 
And we come in and we drop our offering off and we make all sorts of noise so nobody knows what we gave and we do the things we're supposed to do. And as long as we're doing these things, we know we're doing it right. I can make that flash flash all day long, but it doesn't mean it's doing it right. Traditionalist. And then there's the, the another negative, and he is the defeatist. They always see the problems. <laughs> You know, I'm going to use my announcement time this morning. We need helpers on Wednesday night. Now, that could be a bad thing. That's not what we're saying. Want to know why we need helpers on Wednesday night? We've got 42 kids on Wednesday night. And Miss Ruth and Miss Melanie are out for a few weeks. That leaves three saintly ladies doing all this with 42 kids. So, we could say it's defeatist. Our helpers aren't here. Let's close down. Or we could say we're being blessed. Can we have help? The defeatist will look at it and say, guess what? We just can't do this. There's just too many kids. We can't do the things that we need to do. This thing needs to be just torn. We just can't. We're done. I can see all the problems. We can't get them fed. We can't keep them separated. Don't forget about social distancing. Have you ever put a bunch of kids from pre-K to fifth grade in the same room together? Pick a friend's nose, pick a nose next to you. But we don't do that. The defeatists would say we're done. We can't. We can't be that kind of negative. And the fourth one that he came up with was the antagonist. They fear that they'll lose control. And so they want to stand in your way. I dealt with somebody like that once. Just once. Um, I have it here. Yeah. Um, we had a, a, a person one time who... Carrie was trying to, to start some children's programs. And they didn't like the programs that she wanted to start. She wanted to have a children's choir and she wanted to do this and that. And she planned it and she put the she put the flyers and stuff out. She did everything she needed to do. And then the other person who would always let a different children's program in the church then started planning theirs for the hour before Carrie's and then would send the kids home. Hers was done. The antagonist is always looking to stir up a pot and cause some problems. They're, they're looking to say, well, I have this little bit of control and I'm going to hold on to it. Well, here's the deal. This church isn't mine and it's not yours. It's Jesus's. And he's who we take our lead from. He's who tells us what to do. And, and so often, you know, we, we, we want to try to, to hold on to something that, that we think we need to hold on to. I'm not saying we don't need leaders. Because we have to have leaders. If you don't have leaders, things fall apart. Back in Numbers 13 and 14, what happens is Moses stands up and says, forget it. You're done. Because God tells him, guess what? Now you're going to 
responded for 40 years. You didn't want to listen? Deal with the punishment. Deal with it. 40 years until this generation is gone. Y'all are going to wander in the wilderness. And of course, the people went, We'll go, Moses! We'll go! And they went and they got their tail ends kicked. Right? You need leaders. We don't need dictators. And that's what an antagonist is. The antagonist wants to dictate how things are going to work rather than allowing God to lead in the people's side. Did you know that we can spike spiritual vampires around us, though? That's over in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll read that to you. We're not going to spend all day in there because I know we're already here at the end. But it says there in verse 25, Since you put away lying, Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Do be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love as the Messiah who also loved us and gave Himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We fight spiritual vampires by being imitators of Christ. Man. We have to be honest with each other and ourselves. We have to be meek. Do we understand what meek really means? <laughs> meek doesn't mean weak. Meek is control power. Mm. We have to have control over our anger when we're dealing with issues. It doesn't do us any good to, to, lose, our, to lose our temper and, and call people names or, or anything like that. If we can't be meek enough and control the power within us enough, to, to love the other person enough to speak with them in a gentle way, we need to shut up. That's right. Bambi. Remember, remember, remember Thumper? Says, Mama always said what? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That's the kid's way. If you can't be nice, shut up. That's, that's really what it means. Be on guard against the devil. So often, I'm a believer the devil can't touch me. Uh -uh. What, did, what, did, what did Paul just say? Do not let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. If Paul's telling these people in Ephesus not to give the devil a foothold. He's not talking to people who don't know Jesus. He's talking to people who know Jesus. productive members of the community. That's what he says. The thief must no longer steal. 
and said he must do honest work with his hands. We have to watch our tongue and allowing the good things to flow from our mouths. I'll repeat that one again for me. We need to watch our tongue and allow only good things to flow from our mouths. Did you know kids hear everything? Yeah. I'm not so good in traffic. I don't say bad things, but they're not productive things. You know? The word moron may come out every once in a while. Um, watch your tongue and only good things should come out. Rid your life of evil things. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive. Imitate Christ and live a life of sacrifice. Be positive. Did you know it's a choice to be positive? <laughs> Did you know most of the things we do or don't do are a choice? I can choose how I react. Okay? I can choose how I react to things. I can be offended. And hold on to that offense and put it in my hurt garden. I told you about the hurt garden. The hurt garden is that place where when somebody says something I don't like or hurts my feelings, I plant that. And I water it. And I weed it. And I hold on to it because, you know, if they hurt me once, I'm not going to let them hurt me again. We need to get rid of the hurt garden. We don't have to plant those things. You don't have to hold off to. I had a guy once, and I told this story at his funeral. First time I met him, uh, he was he had MS. He was at the end of his life. He'd been a widower for about ten years. He drove to, to church in his little cart, and uh, we had one of those little bitty stools for me for Wednesday night to teach Bible study. And Roger, Lord bless him, walks up to me afterwards and he said, I still look a little uncomfortable. I don't believe it's meant for a man like you. I've got one in my shed that'll work better. And he got somebody to bring it to me for the next few Wednesdays. And I got home that night, took a shower, and I got in bed and I went, Good gravy. And Carrie went, What? I said, That man called me fat and I thanked him for it. <laughs> choose how we're going to hold on to those things. You know, I could have been offended by that, but I loved Roger. And, and he and I formed a great relationship over the time that, that he lived while I was there. Because he had a way of saying things, and that could be the most blunt thing, but the way he settled, you never, it just, <laughs> and later on you're going, oh, okay. It's a choice whether you're going to be negative or not. You can choose whether or not you want to be offended. You can choose whether or not you're going to be happy. You can choose how you're going to react. We live in a world that's a little upside down. It's topsy-turvy, right? That's, that's a good word for it. We can choose how we react. We can get mad. We can get upset. We can, we can, we can decide that everything is just horrible. Or we can say, you know what? God's still blessing me in the middle of this. 
I still woke up this morning. I'm still breathing. I think that's a good thing. I think. Because if I wasn't, I'd be with him. So that's probably better. But it's still a good thing to be here. I, you know, y'all can get offended all y'all want to. But the Bible tells me to be dead is to be with him, right? So that's better. Still glad I'm here this morning. And I'm blessed with all of your smiling faces. Even, and you know, this is, you ever watch America's Next Top Model? I'm the master of the smiles now. You know what smiles mean? Where you smile with your eyes? You wear a mask and you got to learn how to smile. Okay. Um, I just thought I'd throw that out. Be positive. We don't want to be spiritual vampires. We don't want to suck the life out of people around us. We want people to walk away from us going, that was a joy. They lifted me up. They made me feel like I could do anything. We don't want to be the person that people walk away from going, I just need to go home now. It's, nothing's going to go good for the rest of the day. You don't want to be that person. Maybe this morning, you've been struggling with the spirit of negativity. Maybe you have been dealing with all sorts of things and all on top of all of this stuff. And you hadn't known where to put it and you've just been bottled up inside and you've become negative. Now's the time to let go just to release that negativity and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and be joyful no matter what this world brings out. Maybe this morning, You have somebody that you've been dealing with and praying for that's been very negative. Remember this morning that if they're being negative, there's something going on. Reach out. Figure out how you can help to remove that negative and bring them to the joyous nature of the relationship with Jesus. Maybe this morning you want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one thing that allows you the freedom to make the choice to be positive. If that's you this morning, that you've never known Jesus as your Savior, now's the time. Just walk the silence of the trial and know Jesus. It's not hard. We'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray?